We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your host for the House of Hardcore podcast, Tommy Dreamer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the House of Hardcore podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Dreamer. And this week, I have Impact Wrestling's own commentator, Tom Hannafin. Welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, I never thought... I'd have a show where it was like Tom and Tom uh, on the same show and the, like that complication. I've had Tom and Jerry when I work with King and it's just a cat and mouse game. So nice. it's be different. TNT. That was another great show. There you go. <laughs> Were you, are you old enough to enjoy TNT? Oh, gosh. So I was born in 1989. Uh, so I'm loosely aware of it, but I, I can't remember when it aired. God, I was t- two years in the business when you were... Uh... Well, one year in the business, uh, two. I started in 88. Was undefeated, man. Had two years, two matches, and that one 88 and four and 89. It was a great year. It was undefeated for two years, and then it's been all downhill ever since. You take those runs where you can get them, man. I mean, who cares? Six and oh for two years. That's that's pretty impressive. It's not bad. Hey, I've never been beat, you know? <laughs> You're still <laughs> undefeated. <beaten> up. <laughs> um, all right. I ask everybody, what got you hooked on this wonderful world of professional wrestling? Um, I think it's a complicated answer for me in that I think the first match that I saw that I was hooked on was the triangle ladder match at WrestleMania. And it was uh, the Hardy boys against the Dudley boys against Edge and Christian. And I was like, oh, my God, this is an absolute car crash. Look at what they're doing to themselves. This is amazing. Um, but I was a kid and I've told this on other shows is that my parents really were not okay with me watching wrestling. And you can imagine why at that time. Mm -hmm. So the entire wave of ECW, I I lived in the greater Philadelphia area. I missed all that because it wasn't okay for me to really be watching much of it. So, um, my indoctrination into wrestling really came in WWE as a getting hired at age 23 but before then it was like being a fan as a kid being a fan loosely of it in high school lost it in college you know you have other things you're focusing on but i will never forget that triangle ladder match what became tlc of how ridiculous it was what those guys were doing to their bodies and then when i eventually became aware of ecw your work and many other people's uh and then especially started working in the business i was like oh yeah, this is brutal on these guys' bodies and they're really putting it all on the line. So it it was interesting in retrospect that that was what got me hooked into the business. 
how dare your parents not want you to watch a program with people who's smoking, drinking, making drug references, cursing, doing all these things, bleeding. I know. I don't want to frown on other people who are like, oh, I've been watching since I was a kid. And I'm like, your parents must have been like really, really cool and really you know, okay with a lot of this stuff because it was the I, I refer to it as kind of the sex, drugs and rock and roll era of wrestling. So, yeah, I completely understand in retrospect why my parents weren't okay with it. Um, I had to deal with my parents because I loved wrestling. My parents are very, very supportive that wrestling aired Tuesday nights on the S Spanish channel UHF. Hmm. where there was five to what there was channel two, four, seven, nine, 11, 13 and UHF. So seven channels and you could get it. And the air Florida championship wrestling aired at 1130 at night on a Tuesday night. I'm nine to 10 years. I'm 10 years old for my deal. I cut with my parents was I was horrible to wake up for school, but except for Wednesday, because if I did not get up Wednesday, for staying up late, they would not let me watch what happened to Dusty Rhodes mm. or anything Florida Championship Wrestling that day. So I would be wiped out on Wednesdays, but I made sure I got up. And then I remember my mom coming in. I was, you know, kind of falling asleep. And Dusty Rhodes, I'm sorry, Blackjack Mulligan got stabbed by Kevin Sullivan in his heart. And he also was bleeding out of his heart. And Dusty's crying. And my mother's like, what? the hell are you watching <laughs> and she like really questioned i was like she questioned professional wrestling my father was like ah it's, i guess it's okay you know he's not failing in school or but so i get all those parent limitations because trust me now that i gave my 20s to ecw my 30s to wwe my 40s and now my 50s to kind of like myself but i meet so many people that tell me dude, I grew up on ECW blah, blah, blah. or the worst is I had my first beer with the Sandman in the back of a parking lot. I'm like, cool. How old were you? He's like, oh, I got to be like 17, 18. I was like, eh, good. That's great. That's kind of insane. Yeah. <laughs> or back when marijuana was illegal, it was like, yeah, I smoked a joint with X wrestler. The, and I was like, great. Please don't tell me that mm -hmm. when you were 16 years old and you're smoke doing something illegal with people who were my friends. Well, and then the counter, you're also like, Oh, maybe should Sandman have been like, how old are you, kid? And then also yeah. it's like, nah, now nah, they weren't doing that either. It's like on both sides. You're like, yep, that sounds about right. Yeah, we were. I mean, even him. Poor. The best was when we went to WWE and we had that summer run and Sandman, we would always card people because we're now working for WWE. So it showed progress for the crazy ECW. And he'd be like, let me see your ID. And they'd show us and then he'd pour the beer on them. We're in <laughs> WWE now. We have to show growth. All grown up, all grown up. <laughs> Um, did you have a favorite? Honestly, uh, and you might hate this because it's another ECW guy and it's not you. Uh, it was, uh, Rob Van Dam. I loved RVD. I was all about RVD when he won, uh, both titles at, was it one night stand? Oh, five or oh, six. I'm oh, six. Oh, six. Um, between the way he moved, uh, the way he cut promos, what he did in the ring, his gear was always cool. Like he was just Mr. Cool. And then for him to win both titles that night, I was like, oh, this like it felt real to me in the in that moment. You know, that whole invasion angle that was going on shortly before that and around that time, I was you know, that was really when I was kind of deepest into wrestling. So I was like, 
whoa, the WCW guys and the ECW guys are taking over WWE. So like I was a, I was a kid and, you know, I wasn't even a teenager yet. So I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. But Rob Van Dam, I got to call some of his matches in WWE and that was a pinch me moment. Um, so Rob Van Dam was definitely one of my favorites. I, I love the Dudley boys, got to work with both of them. Um, as I mentioned, like th- that's one thing I always look back on is like, it's the old adage of like, don't meet your heroes. And I'm really fortunate. Like I got to meet all three of the teams and every guy involved in the the triangle ladder match. And I'm glad that I met all of them. So I'm glad that I had the chance to work with all of them in a significant way. Um, So I just feel very lucky and fortunate for a guy who just, you know, again, got really lucky at age 23 and broke into the business and just kind of had to learn from the ground up. Yeah, it's very cool. And Rob was so unique. And so like a lot of people don't realize how big Rob is as well as how thick he is. Thick. And the stuff that he was able to do. And I mean, from early Rob Van Dam, but just like, I mean, hitting his stride from ECW and then to WWE's credit, as well as for Vince. I remember specifically about Rob changing his stuff up and like the frog splash. It was Vince who's like, you're going to sell this after you hit it, it's going to get it over more. And he was right. And also like WWE version at times was watered down Rob Van Dam, but the people would still react and he made the most money and was so like next level over then things. And that's, it's just a different system and then different eyes on you because no longer are Paul's eyes on you. It's Vince's eyes. And, you know, Rob, super duper successful and happy he's in you know recognized for his work and if it wasn't for him that whole ecw one night stand the first one would never have happened so that's uh very very cool and still crushing it at the same age as me actually he's a little older than me 51 years old just <laughs> did it he did man he looks great and he he's dealt with a lot physically and dealing with concussions and all that stuff and the fact that he's still out there doing it is uh very very cool now, let me ask you this. How did you ever want to be a wrestler? No, no. <laughs> so I had to take very basic bump training in WWE. I don't think I've ever told this story. And it was basically, it was a safety precaution because if you ever, uh, for anybody that wants to be a wrestling interviewer, right? And you're in the ring in you know dress shoes for men or for women, if you're in heels or if you're in flats, I highly encourage flats. Getting out of the ring is not the easiest thing in the world because those shoes are not built for grip. They're built for, you know, fashion and whatever. So they would uh, take us down to the performance center and Matt Bloom would oversee things. Michael Cole was there because he was in charge of announcers. And it was like, you need to be able to escape the ring in dress shoes. So learning how to brace on the apron, what rope to grab, et cetera, how to move your body, and then just getting accustomed to it. Um, so as part of that, it was like, okay, you know, say you're doing an interview in the middle of the ring and you're with a talent and then another talent comes from behind and attacks the wrestler that you're interviewing and you have to feign taking a bumper. You have to be involved in that action. They need to know that a, you're capable of doing that so that they can use you for the segment or B, if you're not any, if it doesn't look good, then they're not going to use you a couple of things. So in the process of that, like you guys all need to learn how to bump. Wow. So, So uh, we didn't do a ton. It was like a one day thing. And luckily I never had to put it into practice, but I took a bump and I forgot to breathe. I tucked my chin. 
and I, I see your face already and you know exactly what I'm going to say. So my legs went straight up in the air. So at the same time, Cole and Bloom are like, you've got to you've got to sell when you do this. Like you take the bump, but like, oh, you've got to sell. And I felt like Vince Vaughn in uh, Wedding Crashers, where I was like, if I had any air in my lungs, I would scream at you. I'm like, I am selling you. <laughs> so I'm like, this is just, real. <laughs> oh, my God. Like it's it knocks the wind out of you. So yeah. I was just grateful. I tucked my chin and I didn't snap my head back. So did that did front bumps where I was like, oh, my God, how do you do this on your shoulder? And that was all in the center of the ring, man. So the first thing I thought of was guys like freaking rob um i know uh mustafa ali in wwe does that 450 in the corner and i was like to land on that on your your forearms your elbows and your knees i was like what is wrong with these people <laughs> I, mean, I mean that in the best way possible no i agree but it's commonplace you think about like undertaker's leg drop where he puts the guy on the apron and walks Ooh. the apron boom or now it's commonplace where guys are taking harder bumps on the apron and there's less room and there's more steel there. What do you think the is the attraction to doing that spot? I blame ECW for everything. Um, <laughs> it, it's in and oh, out of the ring. It's, it's higher. It's higher risk. And so people go, Ooh, in a match. I mean, as simple as uh, people, you know, belly to back, somebody picks them up and draw, give them a belly to back on mm -hmm. top of the apron. It's, if you think about it's science and, you know, when you're taking bumps, it's trying to eliminate the pain with, and it's a circumference where you're, you're absorbing the bump on your back, on your, you know, not on your head. And you're, you're taking your shock absorbers really are your arms. If you do it on the apron, half of that is now gone. And now it's less wood. Like you said, you're doing in the middle where there's the most torque or give, mm -hmm. but now you're doing it on the apron where there's less of that and it's half your body. So it straight up science. Um, and well, guy, listen, I'd be a hypocrite because I just watched, thank you, social media, bully Ray, give me a stalling suplex on the concrete. Oh. And I would do that every show. I was on the concrete, no mats, but I was also trained in a boxing ring. So you callous your body to the bumps. And when it makes no noise, like you said, it hurts and it's a silencer. I, I remember my first bump and like driving home and I was just like, Oh, my head hurts. Like, I don't, I didn't think I had a concussion, but you know, old school was, Oh, you know, we want to break you down. So you don't come back. And mm -hmm. if, I mean, honestly, if you couldn't make it or even, I mean, hitting the ropes for the first couple of times and everyone will talk about the bruises. I remember lifting up my shirt and my mom crying because she was like, what happened to your body? And I was just like, Oh, I was hitting the ropes. And like, she's looking at her son who's, it looked, I mean, it, it was, it's gruesome. It's yeah. disgusting. It looks like he got mauled by a bear or something. Yeah. And you're still your, your, your mother's baby. And she has to see her. And this is what he wants to do for a future. Forget about ECW with my mom. She hated it. Cause I would always come home with shit all over my head. Like, you know, being on fire or like, you know, always bleeding. When I went to WWE, it changed, but it is totally, totally different. Did you, they make you guys wear those, uh, I've seen it before the styrofoam helmets. Yeah, I think, I think we had to just, again, safety was yeah. the whole object. And like, we're, we're <sighs> in ring interviewers, ring announcers, play by play commentators, et cetera. You know, like you're fortunate to have people that you work with that are 
you know, either retired wrestlers or still know how to bump, you know, look at what Byron Saxon has just did at WrestleMania for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Corey Graves is capable. You know, there's plenty of people that can do that. And even Matthew Raywalt recently for us on Impact hopped out of the booth and into the ring. So you have those guys, which are great, but it doesn't necessarily feel right for a wrestler to interview a wrestler. So it's like, yeah, you've got to have those options. Um, so, and it's like anything in wrestling, if it doesn't look good, you're not going to do it. And if the person doesn't feel comfortable, or doesn't feel safe doing it, you're absolutely not going to do it. So they were great. Uh, out bloom and Cole definitely got a good laugh at me slowly dying in the center <laughs> of the ring, which I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'd be doing the same thing if I was in your shoes. It's a lot too about respect. If you really break it down, because if you were a commentator for football and they're not going to say, okay you're going to be the quarterback, try mm -hmm. throwing the ball. Now, hey, we're going to put you in there, full pads, and someone's going to hit you. Right. Outside of high school football, that's my only real understanding of it. So, you know, you can watch these sports and be like, oh, I remember when I played t-ball or yeah. you know, basketball in the neighborhood or something like that. And it's like, no, you really have no idea. So it was invaluable. And again, I, I see some of these bumps guys take, and I'm just like, good God. Like, you know, you admire them and you thank them for that because that's what gets people to tune into the show sometimes right but, you know i'm like yeah i have no interest in in wrestling an actual match no way i think you'd be a great heel manager but that's a whole other story oh well thank you okay we'll go down <laughs> that road eventually but then means you got to take bumps so uh. <laughs> so how do you get you said you got hired at 23 but how does this like journey begin for you like, obviously, did you go to, did you want to be a broadcaster? Like, did you know? You yeah, absolutely. So I went to Penn State for broadcast journalism, emphasis on sports broadcasting. So like anybody, you know, I graduated school and it's like trying to find a job. And it was the beginning of the sports broadcasting market getting shrunk down to the point where like, oh, you, you're a play-by-play -play guy. Great. We're also going to ask you to do three other jobs, but pay you the value of one job. And naturally, like any kid coming out of school, you're, you got to cut your teeth and you know, break in where you can. So I was doing play-by-play uh, -play for a men's and women's uh, Division three basketball team and then a little bit for their football team in central Pennsylvania. And I get a job lead online that says WWE, which you and I both know now presently what the company is. That would never happen. That, that, that doesn't really go on. There's agents and all that stuff. So my roommate at the time was like, do it. You'll screw up. It'll be funny. Maybe you'll meet John Cena or something like that. I was like, I don't think that's going to happen. So I sent in a, a submission because uh, they didn't want to see play by play that. So I basically just pitched myself for a couple of minutes on camera. Uh, I went in and I auditioned with John Gaborik, big and Josh Matthews. So eventually, you know, fast forward roughly 10 years to when I'm now having a conversation with Josh Matthews about potentially joining impact wrestling. And then he's my executive producer. It blows my mind. Cause he was literally for their uh, literally there on my first day in quote unquote, the business at my audition. And then I got hired. That was June of 2012. And I got hired September of 2012. Hey there, auto mechanics and super cool. Do it yourself guys who work on their own cars. I want to tell you about rockauto.com, the online store with every auto part at the best prices. This is your one-stop shop for everything. Auto parts, rockauto.com has been in business for 20 years and they make it easy to find parts you need at the best possible prices. No more talking to counter guys who need to order your parts. Aren't really sure what you're looking for. Never 
have quite what you need. And then after all that hassle, we'll still charge you storefront markups. At rockauto.com, you can easily find everything you need. And whether you're a mechanic, an auto shop, or working on your own car, everyone has access to the same incredible pricing at rockauto.com. So if you're a car guy right now, go to rockauto.com and check out all the parts available for your car. You're going to have so much fun looking at car parts. So once more, go to rockauto.com. No promo code needed as their pricing is already that good. When you order, make sure you tell rockauto.com that you heard about them right here on the House of Hardcore podcast. rockauto.com. Now let's get back to it. I don't think most people realize how hard it is to do what you do. And it's totally different from impact wrestling, but I went, uh, me and Dave LaGreca, we had to call a baseball game. I love baseball. I love all sports and I I'm prepared, man. And I don't have stat sheets. I don't, then I'm sitting there, but I know what I'm going to talk about. And then all of a sudden I get, I have to learn how to properly pronounce people's names. I have mm. to do it fast. I literally lasted a, th- a, a half of an inning. And then I realized people aren't here to listen to Tommy Dreamer, the pro wrestler talk, because it was for radio. They're here to listen to a game. And they don't care about stories of wrestling because every time I'm talking, the lead host is like, and that's a ball uh, high and outside. And as I'm continuing the story and I'm serious, like I'm out of things to say and it's the half of an inning. Mm -hmm. And now you have to sit there and talk for impact. It's two hours. You've also done it for raw, which is three hours. And yes, you also have to remember things you have to, you know, I don't know if we'll get into it. If people are in your ear telling you things, but obviously you have a producer, uh, Kevin Dunn, who's giving, telling you stuff, You have, if Vince is there, you have an agent, you have all these things going into your head at the same time where you're also just trying to do your job. And like, I think about it's, it's, you're the storyteller. I was blessed to have some of the greatest Joey Styles, Jr. Michael Cole. And it's like, wow, until you sit in that chair, you don't realize how much stuff's really going on. It's a lot because there's certain times where you have to get in a certain story. There's certain ways to phrase things that make it sound better, whether it's a heel or a baby face. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful I get to work with a Matthew Raywall because he and I are constantly sitting there at ringside at, at TV tapings, just kind of batting ideas back and forth. How do you want to handle this? Is this better for me? Is this better from the heel or the baby face? And how should we deliver this? When should we deliver this? And there, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. But even, you know, to your point about calling conventional sports, you know, I've called football, basketball, hockey, soccer, uh, you know, just about everything you can think of from my time at Penn State and then recently. And the biggest thing I've come back to is that you kind of have to just let the game unfold, whether it's a game or a match or whatever, you have to see where it goes. And that absolutely plays into calling wrestling because you and I might have a discussion six hours before a match goes down. And then when we actually get to that point, you know, a spot here and there could have changed an injury could happen. You know, there could be a production malfunction. There's so many things that could change. And I find it so valuable that, you know, you as an agent or whether it's Scott Demore or Gail Kim or D'Lo Brown, whoever is producing that match has access to us and can be like, Hey, here's a story note because you don't have me on your hip all day as you're producing your match with with talent. 
you could text me if it comes to mind, but you might be in the spur of the moment be like, oh, I got to tell commentary this. And then it's like, is it better from Tom? Is it better from Ray Walt? Heel or baby face, et cetera. So there's, there's so many layers that go into it. Honestly, I could, I could do hours about theory behind wrestling commentary, but um, I'm really fortunate. Like you said, I, I briefly interacted with JR early uh, in NXT, spent the bulk of my career learning from Michael Cole, and he taught me just about everything that I know at this point grateful i got to work with king booker t uh, jbl who taught me a ton samoa joe byron saxon Corey graves who's my guy uh matthew raywalt like uh, renee paquette um beth phoenix like it's just uh and i'm leaving out others not intentionally but still like just i i'm fortunate that i had good people around me and that that's really what builds it after a while because you can't just be like well i'm just gonna go out there and, and call it if you've got good dance partners in wrestling that's the ticket yeah um it, it is so much different and you've you did you've listed a lot of people now also part of your job well let me just backtrack for a second so you're coming up like how do you start like paying your your dues within the wwe system okay here's our new announcer are you are you an interviewer like mm. how does that whole when I first started, um, I was working pretty much exclusively in Stanford, Connecticut, and then I do uh, these studio shows, these wraparound shows that aired internationally and never aired in the United States. And that's how I first met Renee is that she and I were working the studio and she had plenty of TV experience from working at the school yeah. in Canada. She taught me how to walk. I had never used a prompter before. I never even worked in a studio before. So she taught me how to walk as a broadcaster, regardless of the subject matter, and then gradually took the training wheels off. Um, and I forget at one point, um, shortly after I got hired, starting going down to NXT. And at the time, um, it's very similar to the model that Impact does now. And that it's like, hey, we're going to knock out two weeks of TV, three weeks of TV. We got to do five weeks of TV, something like that, all dependent. Um, but there were multiple broadcasters that are being cycled in and out. At the time, there's a guy named Tony Dawson, uh, now Tony Luftman in his real name, very talented guy. He had been hired a little bit ahead of me, so he was getting more reps on play-by-play, -play, and then they had called him up to call, um, I think it was WWE Superstars at the time. Now it's basically WWE Main Event. So I kind of slid into his spot and then Byron Saxon and I were trading reps here and there. So it was pretty much just like, this is your one show. So it's like you get six matches and then you're off. And then the next guy comes in and you get another six matches. So it was, I equate it in sports to like a quarterback getting a couple series and then being pulled and then getting put back in. So it was tough. Um, but I was predominantly getting used, um, you know, in the episodes, I wasn't doing play by play. I was working as a backstage interviewer. Um, I was getting opportunities to go on the road every once in a while, just kind of see what main roster TV was like. And I really didn't start doing anything in terms of like live event hosting, ring announcing till late 2015, early 2016. And I'm glad I did it. I wish I'd done it sooner. I think I was stubborn in that I didn't really know what I was getting into. I think I was like, oh, okay, they like what I do. And, you know, here's your assignments. And, that's the end of it. It was like, no, they wanted to see a little bit more initiative and, and, and me to get more involved. So it took me a while to get that message. And I'm like, I, again, I'm just grateful people like Michael Cole and Triple H, like were patient with me and understood I'm a, I was a kid and I was trying to learn this on the fly. So um, ultimately I relocated to Orlando in 2016 to work out of the PC. And that was literally like six days a week 
on a regular basis doing house shows and armories in the state of Florida and then working with the rest of the announcers in terms of what they were trying to accomplish, what they needed out of backstage interviewers, ring announcers, et cetera. Because at that point, I had a pretty good fix on what they were looking for. And then it was also, I had to learn in the process what I needed to deliver at play-by-play. So it all just kind of built uh, from one thing to the next. And it's something I always recommend to anybody that's trying to get into commentary in professional wrestling is that you've got to start with, and not to call it a basic position, but like you have to start with ring announcing and learn that craft and then learn hosting for an audience and then learn backstage interviewing. And then you can graduate maybe to color commentary or play-by-play because they all build on each other as these really valuable layers. And I kind of did it backwards, uh, not through any fault of WWE's, but just because I was like, I was a little stubborn and I'm still stubborn to this day. So (laughs) the um, JR told me when I went to WWE, he's like, you wore many hats in the business and he's like, that's invaluable because you're not going to be a wrestler forever. And I was just like, well, it's pretty profound, you know? And he was just like, I know, you know, a lot of stuff from this is coming from ECW. And he was so, so right. Uh, my trainer, WWE Hall of Famer, Johnny Rods was your graduation. You had to break down and then build the ring by yourself, which sucked. But he's like, if you're going to have respect for this business, you're going to learn how to build a ring because everything happens here. How long did and, it take you to do that by yourself? Uh, dude, it was like uh, six hours. Oh, And, you know, it was just, hey, the ring was broken down. We used to sometimes have to break down. But for me, I had, we had a, you know, hey, it's broken down. Now you want to train today? You got to build it. And I'm like, you know, you're moving 75 pound steel post by yourself. It's also building strength. You put the post down then you got to get the other one. And then you're trying to, line up these giant steel girdies the you know to connect it oh i'm too far oh i'm too close but once you get to put that ring together it's like hey look what i did and it's kind of the same thing of you like hey look what you did because then i know like you actually help train people for their jobs which is super duper cool because then wwe trusts you that you knew enough to help train the next generation of people it, it meant a lot to me to, to get that trust at such a young age because, you know, I was there from 2012 to 2021. So like 2016, 2017, I kind of start taking on, you know, uh, you know, quote unquote management or leadership roles. And I definitely was like, I don't know if I'm prepared for this, if I'm ready for this, if I can handle this. And it was a ton of trial and error. And I'm so glad that I got to work with a lot of people and bring in a lot of people that are still there to this day and are doing really, really good stuff in the world of wrestling. Um, but it just, it, it was scary because I, I think one of the most daunting ones is I remember um, working with Beth Phoenix and trying to help her get ready for um, NXT and then like working with her week to week. So we'd be on zoom calls and then I'd screen share, you know, we'd watch back a show or something like that. And it was like, what'd you like, what, what you didn't like. Well, uh, just off camera is edge. No pressure. <laughs> and it's like, Hey, no pressure because you're already speaking to one hall of famer in Beth Phoenix, right. who I respect immensely. And then just off camera is edge another <laughs> WWE hall of fame. And I was like, yep. Uh, you know, just don't, don't say anything stupid. Don't screw this up and just, you know, be, you know, don't, don't screw this up. So, uh, you know, but that's, 
I think that's wrestling, man. And I know you can attest to this is like, how often do people actually experience something in this business that they were ready for? It doesn't happen. You get thrown to the wolves, so to speak. It doesn't matter what company you work for. You just kind of get it, get in there and it's sink or swim. And that that's the beauty of it. That's why I love it. Were you responsible for taking Vic Joseph and Matt Camp away from House of Hardcore? You yes. son of a bitch. Yes. No, I will, it was I, you. Yes, it was it me. It was me. It was me. Um, and our primary recruiter at the time was Rhino. Because uh, yeah. literally, like, I would, I, I would get tapes all the time. And I would be watching plenty of other wrestling promotions. Impact, obviously. Ring of Honor, New Japan, etc. And then smaller promotions. Because people would send me tape. And I remember going up to Rhino because like he was pretty well, you know, uh, entrenched in terms of indie bookings and such. And I was like, do you know anybody out there that's and he was like, oh, yeah, I got some people. So he sent uh, Vic Joseph along and he sent Alicia Taylor along. Uh, Matt Camp got introduced to me, I think, through Vic Joseph. I hope I'm remembering that correctly. And uh, they all proved me right. So uh, I'm very happy for the three of them because Alicia Taylor, I think, is one of one as a ring announcer. I think Vic Joseph is an outstanding play-by-play guy and has rolled with the punches with that brand. And Matt Camp, I knew they were looking for like an insider, like an Adam Schefter, so to speak. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's right over there. And he's proved that. He is yeah. that guy for WWE. So sorry about that. But no, right. thank you. Mike, <laughs> thanks for putting my business out of business. Now it's the COVID. Um, actually, Vic, out of everybody that left House of Hardcore, I had always envisioned me and Vic like kind of standing next to in the mountain and being like, Hey man, we made it. Cause he was really, really, he did a lot f- for me and for the company. And I do, I think he's a, a great commentator. And he had told me like that you had helped him uh, a lot, which was cool. Uh, my other thing is I think it's cool that Matt, Cam- uh, not Matt camp. Um, Cole is finally getting his due in mm. the sense of, he was there a long, long time. And when I was there, people did not like him. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about fans and I'm talking about like, he was just like, he took the the brunt of everything. Like, and now like you were, anyone who wasn't Cole was good. <laughs> and, but I always like, cause I would listen to him and I'm like, man, he's great. And I knew his background, you know, cause I was friends with him, but the final that he's getting that those accolades of he's really good at his job. You know, it was really, really cool. And even to like, you know, you're showing him and Pat McAfee just enjoying sitting back watching wrestling, you yeah. know, and calling it because it is, it's key, you know. Um, my, I got three more and then I'll let you go. One, do you have a favorite broadcaster as you growing up? Doesn't so much have to be in wrestling, but. Um, I, I think it, some people might know him, but like he, he's pretty. Uh, he works quite a bit for ESPN, but um, Dan Schulman, um, he works a lot of college basketball with um, with Jay Billis. And I just think he's just outstanding. I love the sound of his voice. I think he works really well. He tells stories. He asks questions. He's got good information. His emotion is outstanding. So um, I always liked him. Uh, and then you talk about Michael Cole, his old roommate at one point at Syracuse was Mike Tirico. Mike Tirico, oh. who uh, now with NBC, is ridiculously talented there's stuff that you'll see him do that he's just coming up with off the top of his head and you can't believe he didn't write that so uh there's there's a lot of guys like that that you know i'm still trying to piece together who i am as a broadcaster now at 33 and i'm constantly looking to people within wrestling and outside of wrestling of like oh i like that they did that 
how can I apply that? How can I get better? Do you have a favorite moment for yourself? Within wrestling? Within anything. Mm. Obviously, listen, no matter what happens in your life, wrestling opened all those doors. True, true. So um, <laughs> I got to work with the production team behind Jackass, which I know is going to sound weird because it's like, oh, you got to call all these things in, in wrestling, et cetera. And like, those are really special to me. But like, I grew up a huge fan of Jackass. Me too. I got to work with Jeff Tremaine and his entire production staff at Gorilla Flicks because they were producing that um, WWE Network show Swerved, which was just a big prank show. And yeah. it the, the show did not go over well amongst certain people because it was a prank show and people knew about certain things and didn't know about other things. So some people liked it, some people didn't. But I, I got electrocuted by a stool by the jackass people. I got to then mess with other people with them uh, on the red carpet at the WWE Hall of Fame. I got to mess with people backstage at a show in Norfolk, Virginia. And I was like, this is a job for these people. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. So it was me living out part of my childhood. And I watched all the jackass films and such. And I was like, to this day, that is one of the coolest freaking things I can say is on my resume. What is your favorite call listen i study i'm i am weird i have a crazy brain but like your favorite call that you've ever heard you know and I, i'm i i mean going to kirk gibson's home run like you know go crazy folks like there's so many different great calls do you have a favorite and or do you have a favorite in wrestling Ooh, that is that is really tough i think um within conventional sports um, man, that is really tough within conventional sports. Um, God, the Kirk Gibson one is fantastic. <sighs> let me come back to that one. Cause let me think right. Res wrestling's easier for me to answer in that. I, I loved, uh, the simplicity behind Cole calling the undertaker streak getting snapped by Brock Lesnar. It was so simple. All he said was the streak is over. And then they didn't say anything for three minutes. And if you go back and you watch the, the streak before that, he would do that on pinfalls. He would do the streak continue, you know, he would, so he would keep it simple like that so that you would heard that line for years at that point in multiple undertaker matches at WrestleMania. So for him to hit that and for it to finally come out of Cole's mouth, the streak is over four words. That's it. It's beautiful. That's the thing about wrestling commentary that I think it's people think you've got to write this you know, paragraph with the English language and it's got to be flowery and eloquent. It's like, no, sometimes it's one or two words and that's it. Um, so I, I always love that one uh, in the history of wrestling. That's, that's definitely one of my favorites. Um, I, I guess I would have to go with the Kirk Gibson home run call because that was just magical. And even though that was before my time, it just holds up, man. And, that, and that's the thing that I love about sports is that if you capture the emotion properly, you live forever. And yeah. the same thing goes in wrestling. And that's what we're all trying to do, uh, I think, in commentary is that we want to leave our mark and we want to leave uh, you know, a, a good soundtrack for these special moments. So uh, I love that one. Uh, the Rangers, they just got eliminated. But when they were advancing, it was like a couple of seconds to go. And I seriously went back when they advanced to the Stanley cup and it was Mateau, Mateau, Mateau. He just said the guy's name three times, but it, 
it, like you said, it stays, it's a moment that stays with you forever. You know, the catch, uh, there's so many different great things with some great audio and that audio will stay forever. I mean, I grew up in New York and Phil Rizzuto, holy cow. And it's so <laughs> simple, but it worked. Well, I will, I will make a quick correlation from sports to wrestling. So when Kofi uh, won at WrestleMania, Kofi mania, um, that's one of my personally, my favorite calls that I've, I've ever been a part of. And I modeled it after um, Doug Flutie's miracle home run, uh, miracle home run, miracle Hail Mary pass for a touchdown to win the game. And if you hear the radio commentary for that game, it's Flutie did it, Flutie did it, Flutie did it. So I went, Kofi did it, Kofi did it, Kofi did it. And because he's a Boston guy, he's a BC guy. So that was like my little sports thing that I was like, oh, like I'm, I'm probably the only one that knows this, but I just was like, oh, I, I, I think it was standing because it was such a powerful moment. And I was like, oh God, this, this, everything just came together for that moment. And you, you felt it in your gut. Nice. Uh, coming up is Slammiversary or when this airs, Slammiversary will have ended. It's 20 years. You're the lead guy. Now, um, I know there's a big difference between WWE and Impact Wrestling. Um, what does that mean to you that, you, hey, like you weren't really a part of this company's 20 years, but now you're, again, the main storyteller for it and getting the, here's the ball, talk to us on perhaps one of the biggest shows of this company's history. It's something that this show is really special for me and I get sentimental because uh, for the better part of nine years in WWE, I was fighting to try to prove I could be the guy, you know, after Cole was done that I could be the guy. So for that to come to an end and then to find a new home and impact where I just still can't get over how welcoming everybody has been and how nice everyone has been and to be given the role of you're the lead play-by-play -play guy. We want you to be the voice. And from the second I started at Hard to Kill to what you know we did at Slammiversary, um, I, I can't even explain how you know emotional it makes me just because it, it's in a way all I ever wanted. Um, and now with Slammiversary, you know, it, it's not lost on me the voices that have preceded me: Mike Tanay, Don West, Jeremy Borash, Matt Stryker, Josh Matthews, who you know we talked about before. I, he gets to hold me by the hand through these broadcasts. So, and he's been there, done that. So it's not lost on me. And, uh, you know, to do it with Ray wall is fantastic. Like I love working with him and, it, you know, even though I've only been here for about six months or something like that, I have felt so welcomed that it does feel like home. And, um, hopefully there's many more like this to come. I popped, uh, there was a line you guys just hit about, you should get fired. You're like, I technically just got here. I know. Uh, oh, uh, that was a Gallo's, great line. Gallo, you should get yes. I nearly said it. I knew, And then I should have said to them, you should get fired again. Well, I'm going to leave it at that because it's uh, really, really good. And I'm happy that uh, I had met you in WWE, but I'm happy that I get to hang out with you because uh, we've kind of hit it off and bonded. And uh, it's really, really cool that you're, I get to hang out with you at least once a month. So uh, same man, it's been invaluable to me. I life is your, life is blessed. You as the consigliere of uh, <laughs> of impact and your friendship means a lot. How uh, can fans find you on social media? Go to at Tom Hannafin on Instagram and Twitter. It's spelled at T O M H A N N I F A N. It's a weird 
Irish last name. It's way harder than Phillips, but yeah, I'm at Instagram and, uh, and Twitter. And then, uh, I've got my own podcast on Penn state football. If there's any crossover here of people that actually want to listen to that, go for it. It's all on my social media pages. And then, uh, impact wrestling every Thursday night on access TV. Well, thank you for being part of this week's episode of the house of hardcore podcast. I appreciate you.